This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning, Media Week's weekly television podcast. I'm James Manning, my colleague, Media Week columnist, TV critic and historian, Andrew Mercado. Welcome back. Hello, James. Look, a lot to get through today. Some look, some we're blessed with some good content. Again, we're going to get into the crown in a little bit. We're going to have a look at the, I think it was the last, talk about the last blockbuster video store. Was it in the world or in the US? I think it's the world. Yeah, I think uh, the world. We're going to have a look at a sort of a, a woke comedy, if you like, chivalry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And uh, we'll talk about season two of Upright. Yeah. Um, but first of all, we probably both want to talk a little bit about the block. Yeah. And the sort of tangle it's got itself in a little bit um, after what happened this week at the auctions on Sunday evening. Yeah, look, I mean, the block's been a huge success. Channel 9's made a lot of money. They probably don't care. But I think that there's a there's a problem here because now they're making properties that are selling for $6 million. And it's not very aspirational anymore, particularly when you think back to the way the block used to be and when those auctions used to be full of people in the room trying to get those apartments, which is how it used to be. And and now it's just these ridiculous auctions where you have these sort of philanthropists and, and show ponies showing how much money they've got. And it just, it's, so, you know, the block's such a great show up until the last night. And then there's a complete disconnect from the audience that's been watching it all the, those months. Yeah, look, I, tend to agree with you. I mean, I've been a fan of the show since it started. I've been lucky enough to visit the set a lot of times, speak to the executive producers, see the finished homes, meet some of the contestants. But myself, along with the audience, we've been educated in real estate by this show to a large degree. Yeah. And it's it's raised our expectations and I don't think it's keeping pace with the, with no. the sort of how smart the audience has become about real estate. I think the TV Tonight story has really nailed it uh, by saying that one of the problems with the block is that every year their promos are, this is the biggest room reveal, biggest, biggest, biggest. You know what? It, it, it's gotten too big. And I look at it and I was sitting here the other night trying to figure out how do you fix it and how do you make it more affordable? And and I guess one way might be uh, you could still call it the biggest block of all time if you had every couple making uh, two houses instead of one and making two affordable houses instead of one giant mansion. There are still ways of changing the format every year, but I think it's really got to get back and be a little bit more relatable because no one's got to spare $6 million hanging around to buy a house in the country. Yeah, look, that I hear what you mean. I would like to see some, yeah, more aspirational and maybe, yeah, maybe they make some more affordable housing. Yeah. Maybe as a an offshoot as part of the Renault's whatever. But the the thing, there's three things I think about. I think about the a lot of the problem seems to be the reserve prices they put on these properties. True. Right? They're 
they're clearly too high. Yeah. Because for t- two seasons now, we've really had no bidders turn up. Yeah. Pretty much, right? Apart yep. from apart from Danny, who's great, yep. but you can't have a whole show based around one guy buying properties for charities and then donating them. It just doesn't work. I don't. No, think. no. He's nice, nice to have as picking up the odd property, but they they really rely on him, like almost a hundred percent now. Yeah. Right? Um, and the, so the reserves are so high now. The they might argue, look, we only go on the feedback from the real estate market. Well, that feedback's clearly out of touch with reality. <laughs> yeah. Get some other people giving you the feedback, you know. Yeah. Um, or get it off domain, one of your sponsors. I mean, they do it for a living. They get people along to all other auctions. Why can't they get some real bidders to these places? Yeah, true. Um, you couldn't have better publicity for you can't say what's well, because no one knows about the houses. Well, everybody in Australia knows about the houses. But it you seems can't everybody even, the- you can't even go onto the domain website to look for a house in your local area without seeing ads for the houses on the block. You're like, no, I'm not looking in regional Victoria. So yeah, you're right. It's it's got one of the hugest platforms of real estate in the country. Yeah. So these prices have got to be lower. To get yeah. some some interest, I think. Yeah. You know? Um. The so that's the reserves that fixes the problem of getting bidders in, right? Some some real people who are interested in in either living there or maybe they don't have to live there. They want to own sell them. I mean, yeah. I think Dave Hughes famously bought a house a few years ago. I'm pretty sure he hasn't lived there. He's rented it out. I think. I think that's what happened. This bloke, the sort of mystery bidder, Adrian, who turned up in the Lamborghini last Sunday, and a lot of people thought he was a stooge for Omar and Oz just to help get their price up. Look, I won't get into that, but his reason was he wanted to buy and offer it as part of an auction, a, a prize in a raffle or something. Well, that's okay too, but... yeah, but um. You're going to need more than one of them. You, you've got to sell five properties, so you still need to generate more bidders. And then the agents, there's – it seems to be locked into this place. We've got the same agents turning up series after series, the same buyers' advocates. I think you need to refresh it Get and maybe having more competition in the – in the properties would bring in more agents, would bring in more buyers' agents. Yeah. So you're just going to have a whole lot more of sort of activity come auction day. And look at the the advice. The the agents weren't doing what they were told. Those people were trying to stop the auctions and the agents weren't listening to them. They were just <laughs> they kept trying to sell them. And the and the the um contestants were clearly nearly out of their mind going, no, you've got to stop this auction. It's all gone pear-shaped. And so that was um, – it didn't make for great TV, you know. No. It was um, – and it was a really disappointing end, you know. You can still call things the biggest. There's lots of poetic license there in the biggest. Well, was yeah. it the biggest price? Is it the biggest in, um, you know, square footage of property? Is it the biggest windows on the house? It can, yeah. You can get away with that for lots of things, you know. So yeah, yeah. I don't think that stops you from sort of lots of outrageous promotional claims. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a problem there. The 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 last night of that show for the last two years, there's been an issue. I don't know how they're going to fix it because they've already locked in next year and they're going back to, you know, a suburb of Melbourne and they're going to build these giant houses again and spend three months talking about, oh, we're doing this for the family, the family, the family. You know, there aren't that many families that are going to be able to afford it at the end of the show. So I don't know where it's going from here. Yeah. Okay, so, I, yeah, I think there's probably going to have to be changes next year. Look, and I'm sure they're aware of that now after two years of really no bids, you know. Yeah. Let's face it, you know. Um, so something's going to have to give. And, I, and I've got a feeling that, 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 that it will be addressed next year and they'll um, it'll maybe get back on track. But it's like 18 seasons or something, so it's an incredible run. Oh, yeah. It's obviously... It's not going to last forever, so something. But it'd be, it'd be sad if it fell over because of this, because people still seem to like the properties. They've done good work on the Renos. You know, there was a lot of discussion about, oh, they've got these classic country style homes beside these very modern additions. A lot of people didn't like that. Yeah, it didn't trouble me too much, but, but I think there's still, you know, people saw value there, not just the value of a four million dollar reserve. You yeah. Know, it, it had to be a little bit cheaper. Yeah. Look, let, let's move on. Um, there's another series that launched just hours before we've recorded this, in fact, and I was ringing you last night going, mate, <laughs> I can't find it. <laughs> When's this going to be available? It was the Crown. You gave me the, you said, look, you think it was 6 o'clock. Yeah, I did a bit of Googling. The, the guide said 6, but then I looked on the Netflix website and it was actually 7 p.m. Right. It seems an odd time, but I guess it's tied in with some international release global. So I knocked off two episodes last night, and I've as did I. Say, I thought it was really good. Um, it was interesting. It didn't come up on my home screen. I was looking everywhere for it, and in the end, I searched it and found <laughs> it, and went at season one, and there it was. But it just hadn't come up yet on the home screen. I was looking at five yeah. past six or whatever time it was. Look. You know, I'm going to say this about it. When this show first started, it was set in 1947. And so we were looking at a history, was certainly a history that I didn't grow up through. I didn't know a lot about it. So I was able to wash, uh, let it wash all over me and go, this is fantastic. The thing is, though, that as the crown moves closer and closer and closer to today's date, it gets to a point where the audience does remember the history really well because more and more of them grew up through it. And the problem is with recent history is that you think you know that history. So this is the problem that The Crown is facing now. The audience is uh, has more questions about its historical accuracy because we all have a version in our heads of what we think happened as opposed to when the crown first started when we were quite happy for them to tell us what happened now the shoes on the other foot so this is why i think there's issues now all around this series yeah well, i i didn't see that i mean there's been this this talk that now they've put up a bit of a disclaimer at the start of the episode saying this is it's fictional um, dramatization yeah I don't go for that. I still think they research it pretty deeply. 
I still assuming that most of the stuff is is pretty accurate. Yeah. Apart from obviously some of the dialogue, which has got to be recreated. For Correct. The, I agree. The things agree. where no one knows. But yeah. I think all the major things, I, I'm assuming they're accurate, right? Yeah. I'm not going for this fictional stuff. I'm going, yeah, okay. That just gives you, it's a bit of a safety net for the producers, I guess. Um, but I'm assuming it's all pretty, pretty real. And like last night, I just thought, or this, these first two episodes, I just thought they were spot on. I thought Elizabeth Debicki as Princess Diana oh, just blew me away because there's been a lot of hype around Elizabeth Debicki ever since she appeared in The Great Gatsby, Yeah. then around her in The Kettering Incident, The Night Manager, and she's been okay. But I thought this is really, this is her moment. She's really delivered, you know. Well, she had the voice. The voice was down pat. Yeah. It, it could right. have been Diana, you know. You obviously don't. You're not on board with me on this, age. No, I'm, I'm going to agree with you about <laughs> Elizabeth Debicki, and that's the end. I reckon the, I reckon the rest of the cast is It's just getting ridiculous for me now. I'm not saying that I dislike the show. I still like it. I'm still going to watch it. But Imelda Staunton does not look like the Queen. Uh, Dominic West does not look like Prince Charles. That skinny woman playing the Queen Mother, I was like, are you meant to be the Queen Mother? Like, to me, the car, this this thing of changing the cast all the time, it's very discombobulating. You're just getting used to an actor in the role, and now there's a new actor, um, and so there's a new interpretation. And to me, it's like with Dominic West, he doesn't look anything like Prince Charles. He's way too handsome for the role. Every now and then you see him get the royal wave right or you see an expression on his face and goes, oh, that's a bit Charles, but then it's gone. And it's the same with all of them now. I'm looking at the guy playing, is it Jonathan Price playing Prince Philip? And most of the time it looks like Jonathan Price. I mean, Leslie Manville is Princess Margaret. She doesn't look anything like Princess Margaret. It's Leslie Manville. Now, this is my issue with it now. I'm becoming really aware of the actors and I'm not getting lost in the characters they're playing anymore. But hang on. But do they need to look like them? Well, I don't think they do. To me, the voice is quite critical. Yeah. But even then I'd make allowances. But I thought, I get what Melda Staunton doesn't look like Queen Elizabeth, but she sounds a dead ringer. That, that her first um, engagement where she was giving a speech in that First episode, I think it was. Yes, it was just yeah. Brilliant. The delivery was just perfect. Uh, Dominic West, yeah, look, <laughs> you know, but he play. He, there's a little bit of a shonkiness to the Prince Charles character, and he carries that off. And he, yeah. I think his his mannerisms in his voice are like Charles, and like the way he directed all the guests on the the yacht cruise around the Mediterranean. I could just imagine Charles doing that, being in control and, yeah, look, we're going to do this. Oh, who wants to go shopping, you know? Yeah. Fancy uh, one, you know, I just I just really, yeah, he just did it for me. I just just believed all that. Um, I'm with you on it's almost become a thing that you've got to change the cast now yeah. when you do a docudrama or something. Oh, someone will play someone for a couple of episodes, then we'll refresh it, you know? I think that's partly a PR ploy. Right. It just gives you a fresh PR angle. 
So every two seasons of the Crown, everybody's out. All the new ones are in. Yeah, they just I mean, they get it, all these. It really messes with, messes with your continuity, though. I mean, how do you go from yeah. Helena Bonham Carter yeah, playing yeah, yeah, Princess yeah. Margaret to Leslie Manville? It's like a completely different person. Like if you know, it's okay because it's been at least a year since I watched that last series. But if you were sitting there watching it back to back, you'd be going, "What? What's happening now?" <laughs> and you know what? I I think that I do think that Netflix have made a tactical error by releasing this as always planned. The Queen's only been dead for two months, and I don't think it's a great look. The show opens with her getting a medical examination and being all tetchy about her weight. Ooh, if I put on half a stone, ooh, <laughs> I'm not very happy about that. It's just like, what? Now, I'm not saying that I'm offended by that, James. I'm not. But you know what? Emotions are raw out there. There are a lot of people who are still very affected by the death of the Queen. So I understand why they're watching this going, this is too soon. I don't really think that Amelda Staunton's the right actor for this. It just feels like to me that Netflix should have put this off for six months or even a year to get it past the funeral, get it past the abdication of Charles because, yeah, it just feels like it's landing right in the middle when when some people are still in mourning. I don't know. Oh, no, no, I'm not with you on that at all. I mean, look, if she was murdered, okay, you know, or she went too soon, you know, but like, <laughs> What was she? Ninety six, ninety eight, whatever it was. Yeah, you know, we were all we all thought knew this day would come. Um, I, I, this is, if, if anything, it's a tribute. I'm a bit of a royal, secret royalist, you know, but yeah. I'm not the least bit think it's too soon. I, to me, if anything, it's a bit like a continuing tribute. You know, I got it. I watched all the funeral stuff and the, you know, the pageantry, and I enjoyed that to a point. Um, this is almost a continuation of that. It's very, you know, it's... Um, Look, let's just, talk at the end of 10 hours. There's 10 episodes. <laughs> you and I have both watched the first two hours. I'm yeah. disappointed. I love okay. The Crown. I've watched it all. I think that first series with Claire Foy, I could just watch that over and over again. I thought it was so fantastic. Uh, I, I reckon the quality's going down a bit, but... I've only watched a fifth of it. Yeah, we yeah. will reconvene because I am going to binge it and knock it over as soon yes. as I can, and and, so, and then we'll reconvene on how we think it ends up. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, there was a little bit of Cliff where we got a, a look in at the start of the first episode. Yes, Which yes, was a nice back. little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a nice little gimmick, that sort of newsreel, recreated newsreel footage of the, the launching of Britannia. Yeah, but there was just there. I mean, quick, quickly, a few more things I enjoyed. Look, yeah, Amelda Staunton, I did like that. Jonathan Price, I wasn't sure how we'd go, but I've got to say that scene with him and Diana when he went to visit her at Kensington Palace. Yeah. I just love the interaction between both of them. Yeah, you know, she just let him burble on and blabber about what he was saying, and and she was just sort of non-committal. I thought that was that was just just. Um, a, a, a lovely, um, a lovely few minutes of screen time between them, and I've already said, uh, you know, Elizabeth Debicki. I thought she was great. Um, the whole Dominic West career as an actor still fascinates me. You know what? 
what he's done, you know. Look, I was the first time I came across him was in the hour that day yep. where he play he played a sort of a news anchor on a BBC current affairs show. That was great. In the um, 60s, he was yeah. Yeah, he was Richard Burton in Burton and Taylor. Oh, yeah. Um The Affair. Look, I bought into that big time. He was that sort of sort of the failed but successful author at Noah Soloway. His character was just incredible. And what a what a journey all the cast went through in that series. I just realized he turned up in Stateless, the um the Australian drama, you know. Yeah, he, he did too. He, he had a part in that. Um, he was in the Downton Abbey movie. He was in 10%, which was, I think, the British um, version of the agents, the French well, thing about Oh, that's right. You know, so he's just the, the thing look, I want to do let's not forget now. that he was in The Wire. Most people well, exactly. remember him in as Jimmy McNulty in The Wire. That I, I always think of him first being aware of him uh, as being in The Wire. Yeah, well, that's that's the. I was going to get to that. I I've never seen The Wire. Yeah, right. And this this again makes me think. Oh, look, I've got to. But it's a big challenge. Sixty episodes. I've got to. <laughs> I've got to get in the mindset to tackle that. But um, <laughs> you, you keep re- so many people say that's one of the best TV shows ever, don't they? Yeah, you know, they. Or man, just- many many people call it the greatest TV series of all time. I disagree. I think <laughs> that David Simon's uh, work in The Deuce is. Uh, is a is a much better watch, but yeah, I, I tried to do the wire. I got to about season three, and I just went. I really don't love this as much as I'm supposed to. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, Sorry. okay, yeah. Look, we'll talk about the um the crown in future, but I love the Andrew Morton stuff. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to how they tackle the dramas with the BBC. I think that's a big focus of several of the episodes. So, yep, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Okay, now you recommended I get into Blockbuster. Oh, I didn't recommend it. I said you should check it out. <laughs> now that I've watched it, I ain't recommending it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's oh, good. I'm glad we share that because it sounds it's a great premise. You think, oh yeah, this will be clever, but yeah, it, it is a bit of a disappointment, isn't it? Oh, massive disappointment. You know what? <laughs> I, the, uh, Scout's Honor, I actually oh, thought it was set in the 90s. I just okay. looked at it and went, oh, this is a show about a video store in the 90s and the 90s are really hot and, you know, people love sort of workplace comedies where people are losers like The Office. Oh, this will be a show set in the 90s. And then I was watching it like going, hang on a second, is this set today? Because to me this show makes no freaking sense <laughs> At all. <laughs> we know that there's no more blockbuster video stores. There might be one or two somewhere, but, look, you know, they, they, they've yeah. died off. Um, and it hasn't been pleasant. It hasn't been pleasant. You know, some people love going to the, the video store and, you know, now the world is streaming. They actually refer to that in the first episode. Like in the first scene, the guy says to him, oh, yeah, I, have, I haven't been to this store in three years because I'm on Netflix streaming. I'm like, yeah, right, so I'm... <laughs> Watching a show on Netflix where it's about a video store that's been killed off by Netflix <laughs> and we're honestly expected to believe that this video store is going to survive, it makes no sense to me. Every time that there's a scene set in the video store, there's five people that work there, James. There's five staff members walking around putting DVDs and VHS onto shelves in a show set in 2022. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, no, you've hit the two nails on the head for me. There's not many laughs. Not and funny. the first thing I noticed was that the very start, they introduced the cast. I'm going, shit, there's another person working. Oh, hang on. There's another one. And then another it's been one. on and, and on. Another. And you go, no wonder this store's in trouble. No wonder the chain went under. There's too many staff. I never ever in all my years of going to video stores, the most people I ever saw working there at any given point was two people. I mean, yeah. it just this show doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, look, it's um it's not great. It's not no. funny. So we probably won't spend any more time on on Blockbuster. No. Blockbuster show- not a blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> A show I think we're probably going to enjoy a little bit more, and I've actually seen most of this earlier this year, and I've forgotten a fair bit of it, actually, but Chivalry. Yeah, right. Um, with uh, Steve Coogan and Sarah, is it Somani? I think how you pronounce her surname. Uh, Sienna yep. Miller's also in it, Wanda Sykes. So it's a, it's a small but really interesting, quirky cast, and it's about a, a sort of an old-school film producer Correct. And a, a sort of a younger, what, a hipper sort feminist, of director. A yeah. younger feminist, more politically correct director. Independent. Yeah. Comes from independent cinema and, of course, he comes from the old studio system. Yeah, and just watching how they work together. Yeah. It's, um, it's really pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty funny. Yeah, it is funny. Oh, look, I loved Sienna Miller in it. Um, <laughs> I thought she was really. I thought she was playing Sienna Miller for a minute, and then I realised she was playing a character. Um, it, it did. It did remind me a lot about Extras, that Matt LeBlanc yes. sitcom, which is a show. Uh, set in Hollywood, but filmed in the UK. And I looked at the credits of this one, and this is filmed in the UK, but it said UK and LA. So they've obviously doing a bit of both. But yeah, um, like you, I love films uh, and TV shows that are about films and TV shows, you know, because I get the references, I get the in jokes, I get the pulp pop culture references. And I think it's funny to do a story about a Steve Coogan type bloke. And I will say this, I don't think I've ever seen Steve Coogan look so handsome <laughs> as he does in this. He does it. You know how sometimes his character is meant to be sleazy and this yeah, character yeah is less sleazy, he's certainly better dressed. And I'm actually looking at him going, oh, yeah, no, I get it. You're handsome. I understand why your character would be having affairs with your per- your younger personal assistants and all of these actors on the set. So it's funny. Um, and I like it that the feminist director that he's got to work with, uh, I like it that she uh, has her own issues and that, you know, neither one of them is right or wrong. They're both tipped it. Well, he's certainly tiptoeing around her and occasionally putting his foot in it, but she's going so far in the other direction. There, there is great, there is scope for great comedy within that type of odd couple setup. Yeah, now this is on uh, BBC First. Now, you mentioned um, Sienna Miller playing Sienna Miller. You could almost say Steve Coogan's playing Steve Coogan in this. Maybe, yeah. Because it's from what you see of him in real life and in inverted commas, yeah. seems to be a little bit like this character. Yeah, I mean, right. When you think of the travel series he's made, right? Yeah. 
he's like that, isn't he, on camera, almost the true, same yeah. that, as that, that character. That's actually true, yeah. He has a cheeky side to him. He likes to sort of tease and sort of yeah. prod people he's with into thinking he might be, you know, not woke or, you know, yeah. a bit a bit old school, old fashioned. Yeah, yeah. I think he likes the challenge. And the interviews you see with him promoting his his products, he's a little bit like that as well. So I, I think this character is, you know, not that removed from what he's really like. No, I think you could be true, yeah. And there's only six episodes. I've watched the first three. Um, uh-huh. Have you watched it all? <laughs> this will sound terrible. I think I have, but I've right. seen that much between then and now. Yeah. I, I need to go back and refresh the end of it. Yep. So, which I will do. But, yeah, yeah. look, I, I, I really did enjoy it when I watched it for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I, I'm I'm going to watch it to the end and, uh, yeah, this is a good one, Chivalry. And it's a yeah. Channel 4 show. It isn't actually a BBC show. I originally looked at it and thought, oh, this must be BBC, but then uh, I've noticed it did screen on Channel 4. So Channel 4 is, you know, the kind of more edgy network in the UK, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and they're actually the, – the Tories were trying to sell it off um, recently, but there was a bit of a backlash. and Yeah. Um, so I think that's been one of the things that's been put on hold. So Good. that um, Good. It's, um, it's living on. Yeah. Um, something about to start on Foxtel is the second season of Upright. Talking um, about the odd couple again. Here we go again. <laughs> this is another sort of uh, odd couple set up here, isn't it? Yeah, look, absolutely, absolutely. Um the and it's sort of uh, it's it's I don't know, where there's no real link between the first two seasons apart from the two protagonists are thrown together again, aren't they? Yeah, and with, once with, again they're on a kind of a road trip through a reasonably remote part of Australia and meeting all of these nutty people on the way while they're trying to get to a destination to connect with someone. So it's kind of uh, the the same plot line in a way. It's just four years later and it's a different set of circumstances. Yeah, and there's less, um, if you like, there's less, there's less of a common... I mean, he. There was a ride across Australia in the other one. Yep. This this time, Tim Minchin's character, Lucky Flynn, is really very reluctant to be involved with Millie Alcock's Meg, isn't he? he yeah. Well, he was kind of reluctant the first time. She did sort of <laughs> invite herself along. I don't think he's ever been too keen. No, no. But I guess he was the. Yeah, he was the he was the driver in the situation in the first one. She's yeah. the driver in this one. As she, True. she she's she's basically looking for her mother. Correct. She wants him to be along there on the journey. Is yeah. I don't. It's hard to know why she wants him there because they don't get on that well. They don't. <laughs> no. They don't see eye to eye, and he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't seem to be much help to her. So. I, I did feel at times this was a little bit concocted compared yeah. to the first one. I agree with you. It does feel just a little bit forced. 
like they really wanted to another season. Yeah. So how can we come up with a storyline? Whereas the, even though it was pretty bizarre coupling, it just felt a little more natural that um, that first season. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I sort of, it's the same thing when I was watching the second series of The Secrets She Keeps. Mm-hmm. I was watching it going, well, I've come this far, I might as well come to the end, but why are we doing this? Like, you know, sometimes I think some shows would work better as nice limited one season shows. But then when you've mm-hmm. got... um Tim Min- Minchin, who's so, so loved, and you've got Millie Alcock, who, you know, Millie, I can understand why Foxtel want to do more with her. When you think about it, she is really someone that they discovered. The first time yeah. I became aware of Millie Alcock was in a place to call home when she played okay. the young daughter of the woman that the Frankie J. Holden character married, and that character played by Clodagh Crowe, died in childbirth and then that her young teenage daughter grew up uh, with her stepfather, Frankie J. Holden. So I became aware of her then. Then she did Upright. And, of course, in between, you know, she just went overseas and did a little show called House of the Dragon. Um, So she's a big, huge star now. So I understand why Foxtel have brought her back into the fold and want to do it. I just... It just, I'm just having, I just have a little bit of a a believability issue with uh, being on board with what's going on. I've watched four episodes of Upright and I'm kind of going, really, really, you know. I think there's only six, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, six. No, there'll be eight. There'll be eight. Eight, okay. And they're only half-hour episodes. That's why there'll be eight. They're half-hour episodes. Yeah, and look, I, 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 to me, Tim Minchin's character is a little bit more complete in this, perhaps, than he was in the first one. Again, this is I've seen a lot of TV between the two, but yeah. my me- memory was that I know more about him in this one. I understand his character a little bit better, yeah, um, which I'm enjoying. I think he does a great job. Yeah, um, Millie Alcock, I'm. Um, I don't know. She's just she doesn't come with the same background that his character does to this. So I just yeah feel I don't know as much about her. Do I care as much about her in this? I'm not sure. Well, this is I, the problem: the care factor. It, it's just kind of you know every episode I'm watching, I'm kind of like going, yeah, of course we're just going to meet all these wacky people yeah. on the road and get into these ridiculous situations um, until we get to what appears to be a very predictable ending. It it, it feels to me there's only one outcome. Of course they're going to find the person they're looking for and have a great reunion because that person's played by a great actress, so she's not going to be dead. You know, we're, we're going to get to – I know where it's going, so I'm kind of wondering why I'm going there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably I'm happy to stick with it to find out what does happen, um, and there's a there's enough um, there's enough drama in the relationship between Lucky and Meg, I think, to keep me to keep me involved. Um, there's not much outside of that, though, to be honest. That you really, yeah. you know, the there was the sort of the boyfriend in those opening. I think the first two episodes he was in. I'm not yeah. sure if he comes back into it, 
but he got dismissed, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Look, I, I'm I'm with you. I want to like it more. I wish I could like it more and and give it two thumbs up instead of just one. Um, <laughs> but I tell you one thing though that's interesting about it though. Far North Queensland. This has become the destination to film Australian series at the moment. Like it, it feels to me once upon a time that we never ever saw Cairns or the Dane Tree or that Port Douglas on um in TV. And now it feels like every second or third Australian series. Up in the far north. What did did everyone go up there because of COVID last year? That was Queensland was a good place to go to, and the farther north you got, the less COVID. But yeah, gee, it feels like there's a lot, and and I know that there's another Netflix Aussie drama set in far north Queensland still to come. I mean, we had Tropo on the ABC this year, and yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, Andrew, I think if you follow the money too, the um, I think the the. Will we call it the generous um, Queensland government? Sc- screen Queensland is yeah. is helping out movie makers. They uh, decide, yeah, well, let's actually make it up there, yeah, because well. they're they're going to help us out. And why not? Look at look spectacular locations. It um, looks spectacular, and they've got those great film studios at Movie World. You can base yourself there on the Gold Coast. You've got beach sure. and rainforest. Um, but, yeah, a lot of them now are choosing to go that little bit further north and really go for that tropical rainforest look as opposed to you just get subtropical um, around the Gold Coast there in the hinterland. But you, you go up to far north Queensland, you, you are really in a very thick bush rainforest there. Yeah. Okay. Look, before we wrap it up this week, I, I, I've got a couple of. Um, I'm very. I get very excited about forthcoming shows, huh. um, which is good because they don't always live up to the expectation, do they? But I've got a feeling these ones might. But before that, I just wanted to mention quickly the Screen Australia's drama report came out, and we've got a bit of a detailed breakdown in Media Week about what happened. And um, I speak to Graham Mason, who we had on a podcast. Yeah, earlier this year or last year, talking about Australian productions and what Screen Australia get up to. The thing that, I mean, there's a big increase in the spend on Australian drama, but it's really because of the costs of making Australian drama have ballooned because of inflation, because of demand on studios, things like that. So it's all got very expensive to make drama. The interesting thing for me out of all this is the the impact on these um, movies that are getting made. Yep. Now more people are seeing Australian movies than ever because a lot of them are getting a couple of days in a cinema but then they're going on to streaming platforms. Very true. I mean, I saw the other day that The Stranger on Netflix uh, is a big hit around the world, and I tell you what, if they'd released a film like that in cinemas, there's there's no way it would have that instant global audience. Yeah, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I, yep. I know we both gave The Stranger a bit of a hard time because that was the impact it had on us, but yep. I couldn't be more happier that it's found a big audience and other people are getting to sample because um, it, it is an intriguing film. Um, the way it's made, it's sort of minimalism, if you like. Yeah. It's just quite fascinating and it's almost like a, a French art house movie from the 60s or something mm. in a lot of the way it's made. Um, didn't really resonate with me. 
beyond the the my interest in the technique but yeah. it's just I'm just so glad that there's a lot of people um getting to experience it yeah, it's really great when you think about the trouble that Australian movies have had for so long going into cinemas competing against Hollywood blockbusters with all of this kind of promotion and publicity push and the little Aussie films could never compete in that environment. But now on Netflix, it's just part of a thing you scan down and, it, you know, the little film sits quite comfortably next to the big blockbuster and it's much easier for you to, to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. No, very good. Look, um, my um, couple of recommendations, and I'm not sure if I'll get to these this week, but um, it will be soon, if not straight away. Um, the first one is on Prime. It's called The English with um, Emily Blunt. Now, this is not normally my cup of tea, but it's a vengeance western. Oh, yeah. Right? And yeah. Oh, it just looks fantastic. Emily Blunt is out for I'm not quite sure what happens, but she's she's been a witness to a sort of an an atrocity and I think maybe one of her children who are killed or murdered. Right. And she's obviously not happy about it. So bang, she's out to get some um retribution for what oh, happened. And okay. it just looks just looks amazing. I look, I don't go searching for vengeance movies, <laughs> but I but if you know, I'm I can be uh, quite partial to them, and the other one is on stand. It's um a TV series of dangerous liaisons. Yeah, and our old friend Leslie Manville is in this. There she is again. And um, wow, she's in a few racy scenes too. I is she say, okay? Yes, yes, mate. So um, she's one of our favourite actresses, and um, I'm certainly going to be looking forward to catching up. I think this one. Is I think both of these are going to be released an episode a week. I'm, right. I think I'm right in saying so. They're not. You won't be able to binge them straight away, but they they both look uh, fascinating, and I'm I'm certainly going to search them out. Well, I had a look at My Policeman on Amazon Prime. Um, I wouldn't call myself a big Harry Styles fan, but I thought he was really great in it. I understand why people love him. He's so beautiful in this film, and it's a great story. Not very original. I've seen it before, but it was a, it was a it was a good film. I really liked it. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Fisk on the ABC, the Kitty Flanagan uh, comedy. You know, when they've put in their views on iView, it's getting about 1.2 million viewers a week, which is a huge wow. result. So congratulations. That is hands down now a really, really successful Australian sitcom, and we don't have a lot of those. And then um, just a bit of a shout-out next week. I know the 10 haven't had much luck with their new reality show formats, The Real Love Boat Australia, The Traders. They're doing another one called The Challenge Australia. It uh, starts uh, on Sunday and uh, pretty amazing to read that the host of the show, Bryony Dawson, is the first non-binary host of a, a show like this in Australia. So I don't know oh, what wow. the show is going to be like, uh, but, yeah, well done to 10 for bringing in, first of all, a new person, uh, a new name, let alone uh, someone non-binary. Great to see. I'm noticing lots of ads in the street furniture around Sydney too for Yellowstone. Oh. Um, I think it's season five's about to drop. That'll be I huge. Watched, 
I watched my first episode this week. <laughs> Did that you really? Oh, God. you got a lot to catch up on. Oh, oh no, I, I, I cheated. I watched the last episode of season four. Right. I actually had, had to. I didn't have a choice. But actually, I could see myself getting into it. It was, it was okay. better than I thought it'd be, you know. So, yeah, right. There you go. All righty, uh, Andrew, great talking to you this week. Thank you, mate. Thanks, what are you writing about in Media Week this week? Um, so I'm going to write some more about The Crown. Uh, I'll probably write oh, – look, I'll probably write uh, about what we talked about today. I'll have to give a okay. plug, say some more about chivalry. Um, and, uh, yeah. All right. Good on you. Okay, don't forget to like this podcast on your favourite podcast platform, follow us, and um, recommend it to your friends. We'll be back in seven days. Thank you. Thanks, James.